Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. That other type of child who you don't know 
which child you're going to wake up to in the morning. Are we happy? Are we crying because I told you to wake up? Did you sleep? Do you want to stay in the bed today? Do you want to go? It's time to go. They're off getting their little things their way. Don't help me, Mommy. I have it. Daddy, I got it. And then you're dragging them, literally, to get out of the door because you have to go. So we're usually one of those two types of people, the cooperative child of God or the headstrong child of God, who I know what I want to do. I have visions and ideas of how I want my life to go, and you're three years old. And so in Christ, he's talking about the three kids. They're all wrong. And he can tell stories of the different personality types of each one still showing up in adulthood in that formative state. And so as we're going through, we're all going through this process, the transformation, the changing, the tweaking, the molding, the pruning, the elevation, all of these things come before elevation. And actually, I would say determine if you're going to be elevated at all. And that, that could be a, a job, it could be ministerial, it does not have to be things just tied to the church realm. But before you do, you have to qualify, and that qualification is the testing. It's the proving. That's why they're called trials. They look at trials. They're on trial to see if they even qualify to compete among the best. And, uh, and so with God, we don't, I don't know. Okay. 
Alexis. You know what? Reach out to admin at drpaulprice.com. And we will, uh, PPM, yeah, drpaulprice.com. Let me get my email addresses right. At Resources, and we will direct that information since it is an event. If you're interested and you're not here, you want to watch online, and I believe you need to be, maybe need to be a part of Winnie Women's Network to do so or not, we'll let you know. But reach out to us if you are interested. It will not be streaming for the open public for free. It's from 11 a.m. to about 4 or 5 p.m. this Saturday, taking care of your womanhood, body, mind, soul. That's what it's going to be. There are subjects dealing with the soul. Prophet Maud McCullough, Mental Health Mondays with Maud. We're going to be dealing with your hair care. Prophet Samira Alexander, we have professionals coming from the city to come and teach and instruct us. And so uh, it's, it's an all-around, all a well-rounded day at Price University on Saturday. Don't go to the church, come to the school. That's very important to remember. Okay, and as always here at the, in our Tulsa location, we have God's Royal Network, which is all of our broadcasts that you can tune into. I told you last week, one of our first quarter goals is we are launching all of these shows on YouTube. We will still be streaming from our normal uh, places of broadcast online, and then everything will be added to YouTube. And so God's Royal Network is the network that we're launching. This is Dr. Price's network. If you know her at all, none of these visions that she has are new. They've been overhauled, baby, added to for sure, enhanced and enriched, but by no means new. And so having a network is a longtime vision of hers, and now it's not just her doing all of the talking. And so stay tuned for that. Wednesday Warriors is every Wednesday. This is our midweek service. It is at the Congregation of the Mighty in Bixby, Oklahoma. And Chief Prophet Paula Price is our host and our minister. She has been doing Wednesday Warriors for several years. And uh, now we continue to grow. Our, our, uh, our congregation continues to grow. You can follow as well if you are not in Bixby or Tulsa area or you're not able to attend on Wednesday on her YouTube. And I think, did she make very good? And Periscope as well. And on Facebook, she is live Facebook every Wednesday. We continue to dig into Before the Garden and also infusing and blending what we are doing with pedigree, hard reset. And I would say that Wednesday is really like the synthesizing service because we're pulling all these things together and also building upon the Before the Garden foundation in which the night is actually inspired by Before the Garden by Dr. Paula Price. And here we are today with the Jesus and Paula Show, which also known as the Paula Price Show. <laughs> so we are here to continue to reach into the mysteries. This is true apostleship in action. The mysteries of Christ, the mysteries of our Christianity, and pulling them forward. Because I would say that we're so groomed to be hooked on the signs and the wonders and the sizzle and the splash and the dash that we sometimes miss visitations from God. If we don't all fall out on the floor, right? Did God really visit? If everybody wasn't frothing at the mouth, <clears throat> did God really show up? And not realizing that those mysteries revealed by Christ and the apostles were taught. The mysteries were taught. And the power was demonstrated, but the mysteries were taught. 
And uh, in these teachings, we are really learning the mystery, the mystery of our soul. Can we all say that we might be our own biggest mystery? It's figuring out ourselves, right? So many times that we go through life wondering, what is my purpose? What is my destiny? How can I be healed? How can I get over this? How can I move forward with that? How can I cross over? Mysteries. Mysteries, mysteries, mysteries. And having those things revealed, not from some deep, uh, ambiguous, spiritual, nondescript place that can be convolution. And convolution can also sound deep if the presentation is right. And that's just deep. No, that's just convoluted. That's actually not deep at all. That is a mess. It, it's a statement that sounds profound, but what does it mean? And when you have the real mysteries of Christ revealed, you get cancer. If you walk away from some of these places with more questions than answers, then you have to really wonder, have I been in an environment where the mind of God was actually revealed? And here, we walk away, <laughs> we walk away with answers. So many answers. Things that we didn't expect. Right? It's like, oh my I just didn't know that that was really even something I was struggling with. I was guest on Sunday. I just wanted to sit down and stare. <laughs> but we couldn't. Did I? Yeah, he said I'm I did. But I had to wait until the end of the long day to stare even then. I did. Because then after Sunday service, me and Soul Sunday. Oh, my goodness. And Soul Sunday, this is why, and we're going to have a whole new marketing campaign for Soul Sundays in 2020 to really recruit and draft and inspire you all to show up in Tulsa on the second Sunday. Now. We're actually going to roll them out, have them available for you to uh, view, to purchase and view, not purchase and own, but purchase and view, starting in February. But there's something about being in the room where the anointing is being dispensed. Amen. That it just thinks there's somebody here who is in that choir. They understand that you get that first line impartation that has you getting up and walking to the back of the church because you just have to walk through <laughs> what is happening in your soul. The level of wisdom that came forth on Sunday, the, the depth of the soul. I uh, so appreciate you, Dr. Price, for taking time that you don't have, but hey, you may, to do Soul Sundays and to really minister and dig in to the level of who we are that will make us successful or fail. But, you know, one of the things that uh, we've lost, we've lost so much, if you'll agree, mm -hmm. we've lost so much in the church, um, church's journey to the 21st century uh -huh. that we have to go back and pick up a few things. It's kind of like when you're moving and things fall off the truck and yes. whatever. Yes. And so there are a few things we need to go back and pick up. And one of the things we have to go back and pick up is that the apostles, job, and before them, the prophets was to cure souls. When you study the word cure, it goes back to souls. Yeah. It goes back to ministers. And it's because it was a foregone conclusion that a sick soul would have a sick life. And I, I so value that you are reconnecting. You know, I've moved into, I've lived in Tulsa for 20 years, moved many times. 
uh, and through our journey, many of those moves have been under duress. Yeah. I mean, that's just the truth. And whenever you do move under those circumstances, especially, things are left, dropped. Broken. I have found boxes that I haven't seen in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Church so high that we were wondering if you would need a, a designated driver to get home. 
and yet we're celebrating you. Why? Because we won't deal with your soul. Your soul holds your habits. Mm. Write that down. Your soul holds your habits. It records them. That's why we habilitate. See? Habitate. Your soul holds your habits. And so we're going, we talk about that, and we're going to catch, surprisingly, you're going to like, as soon as we can find our way, you know, technology has been, you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, I can always tell when they're doing a technological overhaul to catch us in the future, because nothing works. Stuff stops, freezes. I'm sitting here, I'll pay for Microsoft 365, tell me why PowerPoint and Word just go on vacation when they feel like it. We're going on a coffee break. Right. We'll be back when you push a button. Right. I said, but when what's the point? You told me on something that wasn't going to do that. The little uh, programs on disk did that. <laughs> <laughs> and they were more reliable. Uh, uh, yeah, but, but you know, it's your disk. You could drop that disk in, and just it will just go in there and, and plug in and fix up. What with this here, I got to go. The internet's not working, so I can't go fix PowerPoint. Can't go fix Microsoft. Right. I just can't fix it. How we doing? We all right. I'm excited about what we're going to do today. We've been on a leadership journey, and the reason that we're on a leadership journey is because, number one, the church, here's something I want you to write down. I'm going to revolutionize you with some thoughts that you need to remember. Number one, the church is supposed, has been ordained by God to be the world leader. We've lost that destiny. That's why you don't have your destiny, because, see, your destiny is as a leader and not a follower as a head and not the tail, as above only and not beneath. So the church is ordained to be the world's leader because our Father who art in heaven, the God that begot us, is the world creator. And we are his offspring. We are his children created in Christ Jesus for good works that we may walk in them. So I want you to understand this because, see, we wonder what happened to the church. The church is identity lost. And in your identity is your destiny. The church is meant to be the world leader. Before us, Israel was meant to be the world leader. The problem is when you're a world leader of a unique parentage or unique root, there's not a lot more like you. And if you're not comfortable in your leadership position, if you're not comfortable in your leadership position, if you're not comfortable in your leadership position, you advocate. You step down, and you join the ranks of those that should be led by you. And ultimately, since you're the odd one out, you end up being led by them. Wow. Because being a leader means being comfortable with being different. It means being comfortable with being distinct. And it also means something that we don't like to talk about in church. It means being comfortable with being the best, with being the top. And if you're not comfortable with those things, you are not a leader. Now, I didn't say arrogant, because, see, a lot of bossy people are arrogant, and arrogant creates bossiness. Write that down, because I want you to remember that. There's one of where it comes from. There's a difference between leading and bossing. And when I teach my leadership class, which right now is pretty hefty, huh? Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my current class. When I teach my leadership class, I, I start early in leadership saying you need to know the difference between bossing and leading. Because bossing equates to bullying. And bully bosses boss. They're always throwing their weight around because they don't know why they're in position. They're always throwing their weight around because they are, they've got a title and no reason. They're always throwing their weight around because they're 
ego is the reason they took the job, they took the post. And all of that makes them bossy. I don't have a problem with bossy. I have a problem with bossy myths. People who act as if we're still in some sort of servitude, serfdom kind of world. You, that, that the staff and the team exist for you and to make you feel good about you. Your staff and team exist to celebrate you. But see, true leaders are builders. They don't just bind you to the work and bind you to the vision. They're builders. They build you so that they don't have to boss you. I don't know about you, but that was exciting to me when God said it. So I build my leaders so I don't have to boss them. And if I have to boss them, then I'm going to train them. And if the training doesn't work, I'm going to remove them. Because you don't want to lead. You want to boss. That means you don't want to build people. You want to build your ego. True leaders build people. And they don't do it deliberately. Most of them don't even do it consciously. They just know this is what makes people stronger, and the stronger they are, the more confident they are. The more confident they are, the more competent they want to be. Isn't that powerful stuff? Yes, amen. See, so if you have a leader that only wants to bark or orders orders at you, only wants to tell you what to do and walk away, and then they ridicule you for not being telepathic, being in their mind, that is not a leader. That is not a leader. And a lot of the church has front runners and, 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 and who are holding leadership titles and leadership posts, but that is not a leader. Because I'll tell you something, when God talks to you, when God really talks to you, and we're going to have a segment on how God talks, when God talks to you, God is always edifying. The scripture uses edify, which is a Bible synonym for building, or upbuilding. You are God's edifice, which means you are his elegant building. And so God, it's like you running in wanting to tear down everything on your wall. You decorate it and rip it all apart and leave it on the floor. And you decorate it and rip it all apart and leave it on the floor. And you do that because the, the final product is not where you're going after. The final product is your initiative, the fact that you want to, want to decorate. And once I look at it, I'm done with it. See, that is not God. God wants you to become him in the end of, by the end of your life so that you can partner with him in eternal life. So I'm going to give you that as an objective again. God wants you, <laughs> this is very important, <clears throat> excuse me, God wants you to become him by the time you reach the end of your life so that in the, the afterlife, in eternal life, you will partner with him. And you will do so as a highly developed, super developed child in his family. I need you to understand all of this. The reason you go to ministry school is not just to get a job on earth, and the reason you go to ministry school is not just to be able to minister your gifts and, plot and, and deliver your gifts. It is for you to perfect. He's always talking about perfecting the saints. And the word perfect is a very interesting word because that means thoroughly facilitated. That you would be thoroughly facilitated and thoroughly capable of facilitating what God needs you to do in his world. And you will never do it if you think God came into existence when Jesus came to earth. So when you're thinking about a leader, when God gets tight, tense, and snippy and all of that, it is only because you have run the end of his nurture plan. You've run to the end of his development 
plan. You've run to the end of his wisdom and counsel. You've run to the end of his instruction. And all of that never even brought competence or confidence in you. And because it never did, God is thinking, then I know my stuff is good. So obviously the material is flawed and it's too flawed. And if your will is too tied to your ego, you will never grow in God. Never. Because development requires humiliation. It requires humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humility. They said before honor is humility. That's God's way. Now Satan's way is before or avoid humility and rush right to honor so that you can boss people around. Poor leadership perspective will stop you from seeing true leadership effectiveness. You've got to think differently, guys. So when we, you know, we had a lot of leadership classes, well, I just told my people, well, you better, I'm wearing the oil, I'm wearing the robe, I'm wearing the garment, I'm, I'm the big person in charge, I've got God's word. If you got all of that, you ought to do like God because God doesn't need his church. Now, he may deal with individual cells and particles of his church being his body, but God doesn't beat his church. God does not want you without an identity. He does not want you inferior. He doesn't want you feeling inferior. He doesn't. And people who want to force their inferiority on you will always do it through Boston because they will throw their weight out. For example, I'm 5'2". Tall people always think that that's going to intimidate me. They'll say, and it's like, do you realize I've been five two for like, you know, come on, somebody at least it's five years. So when they, so when they, because their inner man isn't as tall as their outer man, or their inner being is not as tall as their outer being, they have to level the psychological playing field by using their physical height. See, I've lived this all my days. You know, I'm I'm going to write a book about the soul. And I'm going to give, it's going to be the mightiest book, a manual textbook on the soul that's ever been written, because it's going to be the way it created this. And so I understand soul stuff. So when they come, and you, and you can tell, because they'll sidle up to you, and they'll strut like they, they think they're the, the oak tree that's getting ready to give you a, a you know, shadow. I don't care. I haven't seen people's height in about 35 years. I promise you, I don't see it. I really don't. And if I had a problem with it, I'll pull up a chair and stand and look you eye to eye. I don't really care because we're not here for that. See, the world needs those, those concepts, you know, those P concepts. They need that because there's nothing inside to equate to what's outside. And so we get that, you know, and, and, and we have a, um, a couple of people that we meet in our circle, and every time we meet, I'm thinking we've been together for over 15 years. Haven't we settled this? But, but, see, I kept growing in my soul, and my soul looks you eye to eye, and my soul will look you face to face, and that's what bothers people. Well, what is that? That's the person who's going to boss you. That's the person who's going to always want to make you feel less than them and smaller than them. They're always going to pick this stuff about you and all of that. Now, can you imagine having that in a leader where you, where you virtually cannot fight that or where, where you defending yourself is so costly? So when I develop leaders, I'm coming after that. I'm coming after why you think your external self is going to do anything but get the job done for your internal self. Because the ear test works like the palate test food. So I test works like I test my favorite meal. 
You know, if you ever got your favorite meal and um, you tested it, you've gone to this restaurant, it's been years you've been going to this restaurant, and you got your favorite meal, and you go there one time and test it, because you know, you already know what it tastes like. The brain is trained, the taste of the train, the palate is trained. Go to and say, something's wrong. Something. They left something out, or they put something in. I've gone to restaurants and said, they have a new cook. They have a new chef. Why? Because the ingredients measured. Not this. And so this chef just wanted to put a little more of this and a little less of that. And so your favorite dish is no longer the dish your mind remembers, your soul remembers. Well, I, I stay in my realm. I stay in my sphere and in my station of leadership. So I taste leadership. I taste people's words. I taste their style. You know, the issue is, but, and my, but God bless my staff. I love them so much because they just kind of, you know, they have been the petri dish, the lab rats, the dip pigs, you name it. They've been it all. And they're better for it. But one of the things that they know is that I'm at the root of your soul when you just, you haven't even figured out that your soul has an issue. So I'm like the, I'm, I'm, I'm like the MRI. I'm already there. <clears throat> and I've already measured. You understand? I've already reviewed. And I've already investigated and inspected your soul. So I know where this is coming from. When you don't know, all you know is that you woke up this morning cranky. <coughs> That's all. you just like, I woke up cranky. All you know is that <coughs> last night you just had a horrible, nostalgic night. You don't realize that. But as a leader, you cannot pass on what's not working in you. So I, I'll say it. I'll say, no, but that's not why you're doing it. So, so you're doing it because blah, blah, blah. And, you, and, and the reason I do it is because Jesus Christ said our job as apostles is to cure souls. Herod called him, told him, hey, come do some tricks for me. He said, I'm curing souls. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm curing souls today and tomorrow, the third day I'll be perfected. He didn't just say finished. The reason he was perfected means I'm, re- I'm, next to move, uh, I'm ready to move into my next place of facility and facilitation, which is get on that cross. We have to think differently. And what's going on, you know, when you hear these prophecies, these shallow prophecies, shallow prophecies come from shallow souls. Yeah, I mean, you think they're coming from some... You know, they, well, they just know my needs. Well, maybe your needs are shallow. I don't know. But I will say this. Deep calls unto deep. And the church hates deep. They have on so many floaties that they can't even get into the depth of God. Floating on the surface, and as Jews said, foaming at the mouth. Why am I saying this? Because we cannot fix the problem with the sickness. And that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to fix the problem with the sickness. And it's important. So the, the apostle and prophet of the future is not going to be the apostle and prophet that we've known that introduced this and reintroduced these offices and mantles and giftings to us. Even if they're in the same person, God's been growing us up as a church. And a lot of us, until we get into a uh, different environment, we won't know how much we grew. Or didn't grow. Because as long as you with folks who are like you, you, you feel like we're all growing together. You don't. You know, I always, always use the job of um, elementary school. Elementary school, we're all in kindergarten together. 
we all go to the next grade together and we don't move and leave that particular school district. And then all of a sudden, we get into junior high school, and even though we're together, obvious differences between us show up. And those obvious differences are definitive. They're definitive enough to determine who's going to do what in life. By the time you get to high school, you barely want to talk to the person that you had recess with in elementary school because you seem to have the same things in common. You want to do sports. They want to do the, the chess club. Someone else wants to do the, the gospel chorus and the, the school chorus. And everybody now, because we're moving up the ranks, everybody's uniqueness is revealing their destiny, their purpose. And it's that purpose that determines the schools you go to, the colleges you go to. I'm, gonna, I'm going to be an attorney, so I'm going to law school. And you lose touch. Nobody ever wants, really, I won't say nobody because that could be a little bit um, presumptuous, but very few people say, make up their mind, you know, I can't be your friend anymore. You just stop friending people. You stop having time. You stop being interested in their conversations. You stop being interested in their stories, their presence, their spirit, their soul, their psychological self ceases to call you. You no longer wonder what they're doing in life. What is that? That's life pathways taking hold and getting us ready for our purpose, getting us ready for who we are. But here's the, here's the thing. Even though that's happening, is your, even though your soul is doing its job in differentiating you and distinguishing you, is it doing its job in developing you? Are you being developed at the same rate that you're being educated. Because education does not touch soul development. We'd like it to, but, it, but the soul has a different language. It has a different um, force, and it's a different agent in your existence, which is why we have something called the cognitive and the affective domains. The soul needs the affective development, and we're taught to ignore our feelings. We're taught to ignore our emotions. We're taught to we're taught to anesthetize our emotions. We need that pill. We need that booze. We need that food. We need that habit. We need that tantrum and other outlets. We need that that sexual encounter. We need the things that affect our senses, so our senses are not rarely as developed as our intelligence. Which is, God, which is what God said. He said, but you, you know, you have your senses seared. Our senses are literally hard as, as a, a, um, a felt, a tan hide. And everything soft rolls off of it. I want you to hear this because we're talking about leadership. Because there are things you want to know. What I do I'm going to my screen, my trusty screen. What I do in developing my leaders 
is to deal with, to create that leader from the inside out. Because I'm, I'm dealing with adults. And so I understand they're coming to me with, most of them, with some education. They're coming to me with experience. They're coming to me with intelligence. They're even coming to me with a level of, of expertise or elite competence. I know that. But what I do, I do know is those, those qualities don't carry over to the soul. So their cognizance, cognition's way up the top. And they've been able to ignore and hide out from their disruptive and, and, and dysfunctional emotions by relying on and overtaxing their intelligence. But body smart. When your mind is overtaxed, it just quits. First it runs, then it hides, then it fights back because you found it in its hiding place. And then eventually it just gets stubborn and it obstinately quits. It's just like, I don't want to feel, I don't want to think. And that's where callousness comes in. Callousness is that mind that, that has literally quit working because the soul was commanding it to cooperate. I'm just letting that soul. Is that seeping in? So your soul has a job to do, and its job is to see to it that you are functional, profitable, and even economical in the earth. So when the soul wakes up, because the soul is the, is the main controller. I know we think it's mine, but we'll talk about that another time. But the soul is the main controller. It is the, the driver of your body. And you've only allowed it to do the basic things a human needs. So your soul is very primitive because you only permitted the primal. And it's, the, it's that primitivity that eventually, depending on what your call is in life, that will speak to it that no matter what success you get, it's short-lived, it's usually immature, it usually stays embryonic, and it's often easily debilitated. Well, I, I made it the last three years, but I can't make it this year. Yeah, right, because you need more than your intelligence to get you there. People may need your intelligence to approve of you. But you need your soul to keep you approved. So when you're a leader and you, you meet these bossy leaders and these pushy leaders and these bully, pushy around folks, you have to understand all of that is that primal facade that is resisting the soul's wisdom and that is refusing to interact with and collaborate with the emotions or sentiments. That's what we're talking about. So you are brilliant in public, and you go and you got to shoot up five things and sniff up something else and lay around and whatnot, all that. Why? Because that brilliance is rewarded with destruction. You must destroy your soul in order for you to feel good about your brilliance, to feel good about your achievements and your attainment. And then once you're in that destructive state, you then get to do what is really you, and that's destroy others. It's important.
I'm going to write a whole manual on salt because I do understand it. And I understand it from the creative perspective. So when you look at, um, that's right, when you look at your celebrities, so many of them are disappointed because they only went to the talent uh, reservoir in their soul. They went into what would feed that ego fastest and the greatest. And when you will know you mature when your ego doesn't need daily feeding that destroys others. As long as your ego needs to be fed and nourished for the destruction of others, your soul is broken. Your soul is debilitated. Your soul is crippled by something, and you are compensating. So soul compensations are very important. If you were raised by abusive parents or or indifferent parents, they have a lot to do with how you compensate and the reward system you choose. Bullying parents typically make bullying or cowardly children who become bullying and cowardly adults. You have to know that. Because you are going to, you're going to address people as if they, they know what they're doing. These people don't know what they're doing. Because they're not doing, they're being. See, doing requires knowledge. Being requires existence. So they're just existing. And the Bible says, well, since I'm on a planet, I'll just be mean. But since I'm on a planet, I'll just be hateful. And so once you determine the being, your being literally prescribes the doing. It's so important. So let's look at this. We left off with this leaderboard last time we talked. And these are elements of leadership, and these are elements that you will need to be trained in in order for you to become a successful leader. But a successful leader is not necessarily an effective leader because a successful leader can achieve, can attain, but an effective leader gets particular results, and results are always predetermined and predesired. So I have leaders who are successful, and I have leaders who are effective. The, my effective leaders alter others. My, my successful leaders, and I don't have a lot that fall into this category because I won't live with it that long, just push others along. They, and literally, they oppress others. They, you're just going to do it because I say it. Do it because I'm in position. Or do it because I'm this or I'm that. And, and all of us can fall into either one of those roles, but it is the consistency and the continuity that determines whether or not you are a successful leader or an effective one. Because effective leaders breathe, because effective souls breathe. Your soul breathes no matter what, whether it breathes fear or faith, whether it breathes hope or helplessness whether it breathes confidence or cowardice. Your soul breathes something, and you won't know what that breathing is until you look at it in the other. And most times, if you are the one that's breathing negativity, you don't recognize the other's suffering because you consider their suffering the success of your way. So their suffering to you is celebrated because it says you're successful. 
life, making people feel uncomfortable and oppressing others and throwing your way around and bullying. So the more people fear you, the more successful you feel. The more people are intimidated by you, the more you celebrate your way because they're celebrating your, your demoralization of them. They're celebrating your demolishment of their hope, their, their confidence, their resistance. See, because that's different. But you're so brief. It's, it's a breeder because we're made like God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in his image and likeness, and we are fearsome. But it's what we do with it because there's a fear that strikes awe, and there's a fear that strikes anguish. And so if people are anguished by you, that is, and I always think of anguish as being angry and too weak or inferior to do anything about it, so you suffer. So if that's who they are, and if that's who you are to them, then you are a breeder, and your soul as a leader, your your soul is breeding, but it's breeding death. Death to people's dreams, death to their hopes, death to their, their understanding, death to their self-esteem, their self-respect, their self-worth. You don't want that because you consider any strength in those you lead a threat to your existence and your ego's prominence. That's deep, isn't it? Because see, when I sit down and counsel my people, you know, my people are like, well, you know, she just she's just this or that. No, no. Now you're running you're learning where I'm coming from, where this is coming from. Thirty five years of watching people do some of the most brilliant, superior and ignorant, destructive things. And not leaving it there, but literally taking those encounters and and analyzing them. And autopsying those experiences so that I can understand the signs and signals and indicators that make people, that suggest where they are. You add that to my prophetic acumen and my apostleship's wisdom, and you understand when I'm sitting there, I may be ahead of you, I could be three years ahead of you, dealing with your soul, where are you going to be in three years? And if you listen, we can change that direction, change that trajectory. If you listen, most times people don't listen because the church has learned to be resistant. It's trained to be defensive and therefore to resist wisdom and knowledge, which is the natural man's plight, but it is the Christian's preference. So you will You'll sit there, you don't know me. How do you know I don't know you? If the ear test works, I may know you by what I'm listening to. I could. You know, I mean, I, I, to the grace of God, I've perfected to a major degree the, all of the different voices that come out of your soul. And you say, well, Dr. Price, I don't know if that's God or not. Yeah, you do. Because how many times have you said to somebody, you sound depressed, you sound disturbed, you sound bothered? So what is that? You're perfecting the tones and voices of people's emotional state or sentiment. Yeah, you sound like you don't know what you're doing. 
I mean, who, boy, why are you saying that? I'm just listening to how you sound. Because <laughs> the ear tests more than words, and it tests more than tongue. So, as you're listening, because if we're going to be the world power that God has already ordained, we are returning to be, or returning to, we're going to have to be better in this age. No, the medieval age is not going to work for us. Medieval church can't work because right now the present church has reinstituted and adopted its medieval way. So it adopted what God had a problem with that moved him to establish Protestantism. So now the Protestants are becoming medieval. So they're set off medieval church. Let's look at this medieval church. Wizards. Witches. No. Hobbits. Potions. Sorcery. That's something. That's 21st century, right? Fornication. Adultery. Bigamy. Polytheism, paganism. That's the 21st century church. So our job, our task, the task before us, who are the true Protestants that God had in mind, who reject and shun that mystical, mythical, magical thing, because the medieval church, mystical, mythical magic. Mystical, mythical magic. And sometimes you need to have talks like these so that you can get language for what you're feeling. We, I mean, why is the modern church in love with Harry Potter? Medieval spirit. So that spirit of the medieval church was allowed to regroup and reestablish itself in Christ's feet. And he did it through the theory of personal liberty. But people just want to be free. I want to be free to choose. You don't have a choice. You're not free to choose. You've got one choice in life. The only Jesus Christ are all of his imposters. All of his miracles. That's your choice. Because humanity lost the power of the independent spirit and the unaligned spirit or unaffiliated spirit in creation. You're going to serve some spirit. That's how it's going to go. I need you to recognize where we are. So as a leader, you say, well, Dr. Price, I don't understand the big deal. The big deal is that the, the leaders, the sitting leaders, allowed us to become mythical, mythical, and magical. They approved it because leaders permit a restrict. That's the fundamental core, the fundamental uh, uh I want to say the atomic principle of leadership. Leaders permit or restrict. And the question becomes, what are you permitting and what are you restricting? And for whom? To whose advantage did you liberate your church? And to whose advantage did you restrict your church's liberty, righteousness, devotion, loyalty, and affection for Christ. 
So we may have done well with Christian cognition. We can think about him. We can say we have his mind. We don't, but it sounds good. We can, we can, you know, cogitate his thoughts. We can process scripture and have all of these discussions and whatnot and write a whole bunch of things that make our intellect feel good when it's just intellectual busyness. It's just busyness because you have a bunch of thoughts you still don't know what to do with. We, don't, we didn't get a cake out of it. We got a mud pot. Because kids make mud pots. We didn't get anything out of it that we can use, but we did know that if you eat the mud pie, you're going to get sick. Because that's why we tell our kids not to eat it. And they get mad. You know, look kid get mad and don't let them eat mud pie. Because why? We're in love with our own labors. That's Cain. We're in love with our own labors. We're in love with our own positions, our own suppositions. That's very Cain. And Cain is the beginning of how that was. And what is he? Firstborn of the devil. The devil's firstborn in the flesh. It's time to grow up. This is what curing people's souls involves. It involves making us think differently and face realizations that we've been avoiding. I don't want to realize that about myself. I don't want to realize that the reason my kids were allowed to take read Harry Potter in school because I defected from Jesus Christ. I don't want to realize that. I don't want to realize the reason that I allow my children to celebrate Halloween when I know it's Satan's birthday is because I myself am tired of Jesus. But if you're going to cure souls, the number one reason we have to cure souls is to get the devil out. Because we've been trained by the world. All of us. We're born with the equipment to become demonic vessels. That's the equipment, our equipment. Psalm 58 3. See, I know I don't, because you know y'all got the love on me because I know I'm telling you. And Psalm 58 3. As soon as they're born, they go astray seeking lies. The devil sinned from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar from the beginning. That's what he brings to us when he put in Adam's sperm. That's what he brought. And that is why we must be born again. But to be born again and not to be converted to Christ is a useless experience. So born again gives you the equipment, the resources, the infrastructure, the apparatus. But conversion gives you, or conformance gives you conversion. So when I talk to, when we do biblical, because you get the elements of our biblical psychology class, just in case you didn't know. But when I talk to my leaders and I train them, I don't just start training them with the, the theory. I don't start with just the theory. They need that. But I, and I don't move right into technology and technique. I also begin by training their, their soul because the, the soul is what, Generate the thoughts. You have to understand that. Because it's the because whatever the thought is, that's how technology and theory is going to be received, processed, and transmitted to the brain. And we have told you that. So you you know, we've got millions and millions of people, millions and millions of psychologists on the planet, but I'm a soul artist. 
because I'm going to deal with you the way the maker created you so that his vision comes past in your life. Not just yours and not just people's and not just sin's. Are they following that y'all going with? Because it feels in the spirit, it feels kind of like, kind of like well, y'all okay over there? <laughs> we play slow because yeah. yeah, we can't replay the fast. <laughs> and so, but if, you know, I'm, we have the uh, apostles in training program. We have the prophetic aid prophets in training program here at Price University. But the Bible is very clear. It says we must believe to the saving of our soul. And that doesn't just mean the redemption of your soul, because there is the redemption of your soul. But the saving of your soul has to do with the curing of your soul's ails and ears, ailments, or ailments, I want to say, ailments and ills, and then replacing them with what is Jesus. Jesus' soul went to hell for you to become his soul. Not just his spirit. Because heaven, heaven citizens, I don't want to just say creatures, but heaven citizens, they all have spirit, souls, and bodies. They just aren't like ours. The reason our body is different from theirs is because our body is mortal. It is, it is built to die. And so death shows up like us. They don't look like us. And when people have lived a horrible life and they get saved, and when they get saved, they, um, they all of a sudden, they look different. They, uh, I mean, because all of those devils distorting their looks, distorting their beings, distorting all of those de- demonic distortions are gone. Isn't it great? They're gone. And so they look different, and you look younger, because devils are old. Aging came with devils, not with Christ. Devils make you old. They may age you. That's why the longer, the more you stay in the Word of God and in the life of Christ, you keep looking younger. And people get saying, "Boy, you get younger every day." Honey, you stay in the Word. Just keep reading the Bible. Just keep listening to truth. Because I'm gonna tell you, age, age is. Trust me, age has to have facilitators too. And premature aging comes from devils. You can almost talk about it. That's why people who are, you're addicted. What you notice how age as addicts look. It's not just the corruptions that come from the substance, but it is also the effect of the spirits that have the appetite for the substance residing in your beast. So you look old. Now, when you're young, you don't mind. Teenagers, you want to look older. In your 20s, you want to look older. I've watched my girls as they've grown up over the 20 years that I've had them, and they were like, they, oh, yeah, you wear dark lipstick. You look older, honey. Now we had cherry. We and peach. <laughs> we were in shocking red because we realized that, you know, it, it, it has to do with where you are in life. But age comes through devil. And whatever that addiction and affliction is, it has to have a spiritual source because the engine of all things is spirit, which means it has to come from God's world. And in God's world, they don't have the immortal body. So it's got to be a spirit. Y'all, it's kind of hot over here. You know, I got my little you know, studio. I don't call them an audience. I call them a clan. They're my clan, my studio clan. 
They come in to get the first. They, they're having a meltdown right now. <laughs> Which is why Jesus says he always, if you look at scriptures, you're like, you know, because you know the people want you to think the Bible's outdated. Yeah, and so is Harry Potter. Harry Potter is outdated. But you know what? You are updated. And so if he can be updated, we can be updated. Update seems to be the way to When people give you these long conversations about how the church is um, irrelevant, how relevant is Harry Potter? You're talking about kids killing folks, kids being terrified, and we got Disney whole thing for you to go and be scared out of your wits. The only thing we don't do is we don't say what we kind of do because God's scary. So I won't say that. <laughs> But there is a consciousness and a cognizance, and it has to happen. But you, but but in the end, your affections win. You know they have this sloppy statement that you hear in so many television scripts, film scripts. You know the heart wants what the heart wants. It's it's about the sloppiest statement, but it's true. See the difference between our hearts wanting what it wants is our will deciding whether it gets it. Now, I'm just going to say that again, because I know that I kind of rolled that off a little quick. So the heart may want what the heart wants, but the will decides whether it gets it or not. Isn't that powerful? So God, the excellence of the Almighty, the excellence of the Godhead, is that the will decides what the heart gets. Because the heart can want, want, want. And really, we have to distinguish between what the heart wants and what the eyes want. Because the eyes never, ever get enough. They keep looking. That's why the stores know that they can be open around the clock. They keep showing you because they don't know what thing is going to connect with what your heart wants or what your soul needs. But your will determines what your heart gets. Now, we, we, in our Soul Sundays, we talk about the power of the human will and how you can power your will for your success. So let's look at this. I'm going to shift just, just a tag. And if you look at the board, you will see that there is a compass, and that compass is called your leader self-assessment compass. That's what it is, your leader can they see that? Can you all see can get there? Thank you. Because I'm having fun. And so your leadership compass is, is, is what determines and really uh, makes a judgment call on your temperament. Your, so these are the things that, that you need to assess about yourself. Your temperament. Your talent. Your faculties, your aptitudes, your gifts, your attitudes, your attributes. Who are you when the pressure of anything is put upon you? See, most many people don't realize this compass will tell you where you collapse under pressure. All of a sudden, I don't know, I can't, uh, honey, comprehension leaves. Now, you can comprehend everything you read all the time, but when you're under pressure and you don't want to do something, you are dumb. I can't read.
read it. I can't see it. I can't. So why? Why is she writing this? Stop writing me to get out of here. Yeah, all deep. No, I, I'm not trying to be deep. I am the deep that asked you deep. So when deep called me, I came. And I stayed. See, deep calls everybody, but not everybody comes, and then if you come, don't stay. I'm sorry, I don't like drowning, man. I, I need a tank. I need the floaties. I need to have some air. Oh, God, where's the air? I'm so, I, I need oxygen. Jesus, I'm suffocating. I didn't. I went through all of the stages and decided I was going to become deep to remain a companion with it. So I'm a companion with deep, and I like it. I absolutely love it. God, and when he gets too deep for me, I just go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I got to sleep. I got to sleep. I got to go to sleep. My head, my brain starts crying. Stuff starts. See, yours leaks, mine just eats. And eventually, God just, I go to sleep. And, so, and Jesus says, some of y'all gush. <laughs> it's nice to know he's there. It is a Jesus approach, so we do let him speak. And so, but, but when you're a leader, you have to think differently. And so one of the things, if you go in to take the lead, you're going to be an assessor. You're going to be accountable. Guidelines, compliance, laws, regulations, and policies, as well as processes, and they mean something to you. They speak to you. They call you. They drive you. I know my leaders by what they do with my guidelines, what they do with my policies, how they handle the processes, how compliant they are. When people don't turn in homework, I know you're not a leader. Because you understand that you can't leave those boys because people will fill in the things that you don't want to learn. So your followers will fill it in for you. Before you know it, you're no longer a leader. You're a follower because you can't comply. See, our homework classes is the first test of compliance. Will you file your papers on time? Will you, you see how we go? In your position. Guidelines. Yeah, I know it says that, but leaders don't do that. Even if they're going to change them, they first are going to thoroughly understand the guidelines. And then talk to you about, accountability means you'll talk to me about the things you feel could be improved or outdated. We know nothing's cast in a turn of stone. And the same thing with policies. How do you handle Do the policies police your behavior? Do they police your conduct? Do they police your performance? Regulations. Are you regular? Is it here today? Or, you know, I have people who, if they wake up on a good day, they do everything. They wake up on a bad day, they forget everything. So if your work and your performance is based on what your emotion that affects it, emotions feel, then that, that means the quality of your excellence, capability, or competence is not regulated by your will. It's regulated by your feelings. I don't feel good. I mean, you know, you talk to kids. I took out the garbage three days. I'm not taking that. Why? I don't feel like it. When you are emotional or emotion regulated, things, your priorities change. This week I'm doing it in this sequence. Next week I'm doing it in that sequence. This week I'm going See, these are things that you need to know so that when those theories and techniques are taught you, you have some place to put them, but you also have a way to assimilate them with the part of you that votes on everything you do. 
And then apart, what do you do with problems? When I have, uh, I'm sorry, we have a problem, well, what did you do? I just was waiting for you to come in. Oh, you out. You out. I need you to come and tell me we have a problem here, my five options or my five suggestions. Now, I will love you dearly. We'll still have dinner, but I don't like leaders that can't handle problems because your relationship with problems determines how effective or ineffective your leadership is. And that relationship is rooted in your reaction to it. If you had an upbringing where problems were like the thing that stopped life, you are going to have to do a great amount of changing before you can be a successful leader because problems intimidate you, problems scare you, problems immobilize you. Now, but if you're one of those people that you grew up in a house where your family or your parents taught you problems are your friends, they are uncomfortable friends. You know, we all got some friends that we that we keep them. <laughs> we don't know why we keep them. And those are people. You want to know who those friends are? I don't even know why we do them. You get on my nerves. Every time we talk, these are your get-on-your-nerves friends. The problems are your get-on-your-nerves friends. <laughs> but after you work through the problem, you find that friend just as delightful and helpful, and at least you can say, yeah, well, now I know how to do so-and-so. Some of us have get-on-your-nerves leaders, and so you don't pay attention to them and get your best out of them because you're too busy assuaging your nerves. So I got, I got to go calm my nerves because you're out of me. So your leader's trying to teach you how to do something, you got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and while you're at the bathroom, you got to pass the water cooler. So you're going to stop, I mean, you're going to bathroom anyhow, you might as well have some water. And then after that, you got to go buy the, 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 the food machine because you need a consolation. So all of those soothers are how you deal with problems, and so you move to soothers instead of your thinkers or your solutioners. But if, if perchance, you are not there, then your problems will put, move you to act instead of mobilize you. I thought you always liked that. Maybe you'll like the next one. Okay, so the next one is talking about your leadership powers. In the church, we don't like to talk about anybody having power but God and angels. I read a whole lot of theological commentary talking about this, well, this power is exclusive for the angels, and this power is, well, you know, the God is, well, only the soul. And they have all kinds of reasons why power should not be in us. We are meant to be impotent, impotent. And you know what? That's not me. I look for new powers from God all the time. Where's my neck? Come on, Jesus. Because power is, we're not, power is not just about you being a muscle, muscle builder. There are other muscles, spiritual muscles, new creation muscles that we must build. So look at the screen. And I want you to see how leaders think when they're serious about leaders. So there are certain ways a leader thinks. And so I told you I listen to certain things. Well, I don't just listen to the words. I also, from the moment I listen to what a person 
So now I'm listening for correlation. I'm listening to make sure that what you say is what you do. Because when saying and doing happens in the middle of the two, something, an anchor called believing. You believe what you say. So the first thing I listen for is whether or not people just do what comes to mind. Do they just follow people they've heard? Or have they pulled together, even loosely, some sort of criteria for life and living? Because if they have a criteria for their lives, criteria for living, that is going to be a good base for their leadership criteria. Why are you doing it? Well, criteria has to do with assessing, and it has to do with something else, judging, and then it has to do with measuring. So if you can't measure your own success, you won't measure people. And a lot of you all put people in position because they had a they were one thing they did well, and you were awed by that one thing, and you said, surely you're the one, when you should have watched them for about three months to a year to find out if that was all they had in them. You know, kind of like these one-hit wonder songs, you know. They, some of these people, they, they hired them, signed them to long contracts, and only had one song in them. And that song did what it was supposed to do. It was a galvanizer. So you have to start even investigating your own criteria. And then let's talk about metrics, measurements. And how about duty? People will tell you they're ready to lead until you give them a leadership assignment, and all of a sudden their duty to everything else takes precedence. Well, I'm sorry, I got a duty to my family. Didn't you know that when you took this position? And you should have talked to your family. Part of my, uh, in my book, Now That You Are a Leader, I have a section on how your family needs to be prepared for your promotion. If you're going to do it, because organizations are not bending to individuals. We love you dearly, give you a little, honey, and that, let me tell you, they'll let you go, give you a party, you'll get a gift, they're going to give you a basket, you got a gift card, you can go to, I'm telling you, you go to Starbucks for five months. <laughs> You're upset, you know. You can go and get gas for a year because they're going to do all of that because they think even all of that is a cheap price to pay <laughs> than to have you cause them to be under your family and have to deal with your family issues. Well, I know we have the family and so-and-so acting. You're right, but you know what? The people at the top don't want their families to act on their personal destiny. And then we have accountability. Oh, these are the ones where the no-shows, or I'm volunteering, so I'll come when I feel like it. No, you're not, because if you're if volunteering means you're there. It doesn't mean you are coming. It doesn't mean when you can't, because we have our volunteer club is real. Are you kidding? You have a hold of my business because you just were driving and saw a sale and decided to stop and go to the store. You're not, you're not coming when you want to. I got a de- I got a project due at 10 and you showing up at 12? That's not volunteering. That's interfering. <laughs> you're interfering with my success. You're interfering with my destiny. You're interfering with my victory. Because if you volunteer in something, it's because you believe in it enough to invest it, put sweat effort in it to see to its success. Not to do drop in club. No. Mm-mm. So when I have a volunteer, but first of all, I tell them, if you volunteer here, we're working. You, you, why would you volunteer for some place that doesn't need you? And why would you want to volunteer for some place that has nothing for you to do? Mm-hmm. 
because we'll have too much of it. And then you'll get disappointed and say, see, that's fine in my body. They really have anything for me to do. I tell you, flesh is flesh. All right, the next one is fidelity. <laughs> and the next one is like fidelity. Like, are you loyal to God and whose interests are you serving in his position? Remember, let's go back to the ego. A lot of people are in position to serve their ego. They want the prestige. They want the renown. They want the notoriety. They want the, the, the uh, prominence. They want the celebrityism. I don't need celebrity leaders. Um, I have enough for Jesus Christ to be the celebrity. Come on, he is a celebrity here. So come on, we're going to celebrate Jesus. And the best way to celebrate Jesus is to see to it that his projects don't fail. Expression. I just want to show off. And then you have them, they want to show off. And part of their show off is they want to come in with all of these kind of crazy things. You do not come in my, my office in jeans. That's number one. Because I know that, that is, first of all, you're looking like everybody else. And secondly, you're not coming in with raggedy nothing. Because I don't have the vagabond spirit in my environment. Because that's going to emit something. Because raggedy means vagabond. So they don't come. Y'all don't come looking like we the royal priesthood. Now, we let them get away with not having to wear their tiaras. <laughs> and their crown. But you're going to look like we are a winning organization and not a winning one. So we need to be very careful about that. And then lastly, perspective. And if you notice, these are all about the four C's. But perspective, what is your perspective? I'm getting ready to go through a whole training on perspective in my organization because your perception is your perspective. So if you think that, like we have now, we always have, we've been talking about it for two weeks, how our students have a perception that we are incompetent, that we are disorganized that we're incomplete because they don't know our system and they don't know what we've done. You've never got the back office of this thing. And most of you all, when y'all look on the, on the Internet, y'all don't see any of our organization. What you see is what's not there for you. So you've got that not there, can't see, Internet browsing. Practice. See, that for you. When you go on, you're not looking for what's there. Because in your mind, what's, what's taking precedence over your view is your perception. It can't be there because only big organizations will do it. It can't be there because only old organizations will do it. So I'm going online as a matter of formality, perfunctory, but in, in reality, I know it's not there because you all aren't big enough to be that good. We don't even want to talk about women, and we don't even want to mention black. So we got a whole lot of things. We're backing that ball all over the place. So then when you get on, and then we know, because they need y'all writing people's nasty emails and these little arrogant emails based on what you overlooked. And you know what? Possibly they don't ever write back and say, excuse me, sorry, huh? They don't come back and say, oh, I misjudged you. Oh, I was impulsive. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. No. We're both in. And you know what gets them? Because we are organized. We, what gets them is that we answer them with what we sent them initially, and, and we let we highlight the date. Human error, not system error. Now we live with this every day, but we do that to Jesus Christ. No matter what He does, we assume He's not as good as Satan. We assume He's not as good as the world. We conclude He cannot be because we already know we bankrupted Him. We know we're not selling to Him, so we know we're tying up His money. And if His money tied up, He can't be good. 
to make a leader is a comprehensive assessor. We always want to do it. I don't start with, wow, why is everybody picking on me? I start with, well, man, where is my mind assessing this right? Am I looking at this right? And am I? Because I don't want to jump out and attack somebody and then have to go and look like, like the folks who email us. Oops. Oops. That's the apology for the church. Oops. Not, you know, please forgive me, or I just was having a bad day, or I didn't realize. I do those kind of things. Oh, and, and sometimes I say, you know what, but this, thing, this ordeal made me think. And I think. Because being great is not magical. You cannot take a pill and be great. You cannot go to a seminar and come back great. You cannot go to a workshop. You can't take a mastermind program and be great. All of those are, are literally, they're instruments. They're mediums. They're not attainment. Attainment relies on you. Well, we're about come on up, team. So here's our last <coughs> slide. We'll pick up here next time. And this really is learn your position and furnish yourself. <clears throat> learn your position and furnish yourself. Are you really furnished for what you're called to do? And are you okay with being unfurnished? How many of you all love that unfurnished part? <laughs> Don't you love that? Unfurnished. You come home every day. You're so loyal to that unfurnished part because you go there every single day, even though it has nothing for you. Some of you all really love the unfurnished part, don't you? No, nobody, because it's useless to you. It is just a place to go. It houses you, but it doesn't help you. It doesn't host you. And that's what many of y'all putting people in leadership, they, they can't help you. They, uh, they love you. They're full of zeal. They agree with your vision. They believe in you. They're hallelujah. Thank you. And you can't get them to show up for training. And if they show up for training, they don't finish training. Or they're gonna, they will modify the training to their sentiment. <clears throat> I looked at that face and I thought, oh, man, I can't do that. And then what do you do? Then what's your next? What's the next thing you do? You make a case for not doing it. And what do you use? Criticism. Excuses. Untruths. You pull all that together so that the reason you didn't do the assignment for the training for the position you say you're compatible for and interested in is entirely not your fault. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we have a, a few, I think my people, when you give me excuses, I just talk them. Because excuses take a whole lot of work. Reasons and excuses are not always the same thing. If I get a reason, I might consider, but if this is an excuse, I'm dumb. Excuse me, get out of. Uh-huh. Get out of. So you all can do all of that. You know, we have people, they write these long stuff. We don't pay attention to that. I don't, that I don't read it. You know, I know some of you all think I should, but I don't. Are you kidding? I read because I respect you coming in the program. I'm just like, I don't. And so when you look on the screen, if, well, they took it, they still have the screen because I never know. We have a word. Believe me, in skill is a word. Do you in skill yourself? 
expressing yourself is required, unrequired, if you're going to build a skillful team. Well, most Christians don't know what skill looks like because they think spiritual things are skillless uh, and unskillable. And if that's not a word, it will be by the end of 2023, because I'm going to use it a lot. Unskillable. Mm-hmm, I got it. I'm not. <laughs> so you have to recognize that as a Christian leader, as a kingdom leader, you're dealing with people who think skills are the exclusive propriety or property of the secular realm. Because the secular realm has made you believe it's been around forever, and that is not true. Everything we have, all foundations come from the church. Remember, even the medieval church was still a church. So the church has to get back to its supremacy and its superiority. And we do that sheet by sheet, minister by minister, leader by leader. Now, if you're going to do that, then you need to outfit yourself with what your job means. You need to turn your potencies into prophets. Your potencies into prophets. And then you need to adorn your spirit and soul with the garments of your post, your calling. You need to change from into. You need to orientate your followers, actualize your leadership attributes, abandon follower notions. I like this one, abandon follower notions. Rearrange your life, assimilate the requirements of your post. And the biggest thing and acclimate to the demands of the position. Instead of coming in complaining and criticizing, see, when you all come in and complain and criticize to your leaders, you're telling them you're not the one. So you, you all fall under the, the <laughs> y'all fall into John the Baptist and trial. Okay? Are you the one? Mm. See, you all fall under scripture. Are you the one or do we look for another? See, I look for another. I'm just going to tell you I'm one. We're going I'm not going to ask you. I don't need to have a confrontation about it. We just, it's not working for you. And when I find the others, we discuss how it isn't working for you. Now, I don't do that immediately, but I, we do need you to go because we do retraining. Oh, yeah. Retraining. Retraining. <laughs> Until we realize the train has left the station and gone the wrong way. At which point? Or the train can't leave the station. Because it was put together the wrong way. But whichever it is. Now, why am I doing this? You all ask God about these things. Why is my boss not using me? Why is my pastor not using me? Why is it that they keep removing me from the position? Why did I have somebody else? Why was I asked to step down? Because your your concept of leadership is a poor consciousness on what it takes to lead and therefore, therefore, adversely affects your conscientiousness. So I speak like this because you remember that, because Christians are accustomed to preaching. So let me just say it in ways that you all will grab it. So you have a concept of leadership that's only relevant to you. It's not transferable. It's not implementable. And every time you implement it, people push back on you, they reject it, and you could take it personal instead of becoming, showing yourself a leader by assessing why this keeps being the outcome. 
You need to expect the outcome. So then you get there, and then you, then you get to a point that your competence is based on your criteria, not what they need. And so these are ways, and I'm just giving you language and giving you tips on how to figure it out. Because people will say, well, figure it out. And you're like, well, we don't so when we get together next week, and we're going to listen um, here from Prophet Adir, we're going to get into your leadership soul search. And we're going to dig into this. So hear me. The best, most powerful leader is the one who knows themselves and who does not just judge others by themselves. So let me just, because see, you judge people by you, you're always looking to be satisfied. You're always looking to be celebrated. You're always looking to be entertained. You're always looking to be worshipped and venerated and all of that. But when you judge people by the plan or by the objectives and goals, that's a different judgment. And that's what's called, that's when you are an independent judge, and that's when you are objective. Okay. Yeah, this is powerful today. Just, uh, just so many things you talked initially about uh, true leaders being builders, um, building people rather than building their own ego. I think that that's really powerful just in the sense of how we traditionally see leadership. We, we see leadership and we say, I, I need to get these people to do what I need them to do. I think it's in the process how we get people to do what we need them to do that becomes part of the problem. Um, so this is so, so important, really important discussion. Um, you said earlier the final product for us is our initiative and not our goal. Like the final product for a leader is their initiative and not, and that's that the, um, uh, the final product is not the goal, right? Mm-hmm. So explain well, that a little bit. Right. Explain the final that. product being the initiative means you're looking for why you did it and not predetermined or pre-assessed outcome. So I became a prophet because God wouldn't let me out. Okay. That's your initiative. So your outcomes will always be resentful and vengeful. Because God wouldn't let me out. And, and God is always the scapegoat. You know, the Lord Jesus just wouldn't let me quit. I'm only here because. I just started this network because God kept telling me, and I kept dreaming about it. You never bought into God's reasons. You never bought into his needs. You stayed with why you did it, and therefore you resist it because you can blame him if it's not that great. Um, as we as we are, you know, God is clearly shifting this for the church. What is going to be the mark of the leader that God's running with right now? How how will we to identify who God's running with, who God's firing? Um, you know, what 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 would you say is that are those markers now that we know that God is shifting this? See, you mess enough. Because that's what's next week.
elaborate on this then. Again, so many good things. You talked about how the, the soul, I thought this was really important, that the soul must be trained, trained, because the soul generates our thoughts. Really important, I think, the, the difference between maybe some of the, why people need to get now that you're a leader. The difference between that, because, you know, we have a lot, there's a lot of leadership training out there. Um, the difference between that text and some of the other books that you guys may have on leadership, um, just really understanding that, that, that this book is going to focus on the internal things, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you said Jesus' soul was to help for us to become his soul. Elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> explain. Because you had that down. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, the Lord Jesus did not come into existence when he incarnated. That's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know is that he, if in order for him to be fully man, and fully God, he needed a soul. Mm -hmm. Because the soul is your, is your literal uh, individual or your personality tap root for your earthly existence. Everything on earth is about your soul. It's about, you know, because the soul can obviously carries everything. So when Adam fell, his soul, as, as his spirit was just, well, you know, God left, and he's left on the human side of his spirit, which is the breath of life, natural life, not eternal. So God left his being, Satan stepped in as the spirit that would govern his life and that which would fuel and format his soul. Okay. And it's that, that format that is sent to the body to act out, to manifest, to achieve, obtain, we can go on. So in order for God to heal man, he had to heal man's soul because the spirit that God gave man never fell. The spirit, the soul fell. And so if you look at the, under the law in the Levitical priest, it tells you your blood comes from the soul because the spirit doesn't have blood. They don't need it. So God had to dump all of the perversions, the inadequacies, and inferiorities in the human spirit in hell and take on the original blood that Adam had, which was the blood of his meat. That's why the moment Adam ate from the tree, he ceased to be like the God he and he became like the God he chose. So Jesus had to bring us back into the template, the prototype, the archetype of the Godhead. And he had to do it with his blood. Now, his mortal blood stayed on the cross and drenched the ground. But his eternal blood is what he took back and poured on the altar for God to approve. Yep, all Satan's out of it now. Let me see. Hold on. Bring light. Oh, yeah. Everything about you. Okay. It's all ours. Huh? Oh, yeah. And so it's like, it's all ours. And that blood is spiritual, which is why it happens through the spirit. Now, that's a whole other thing. We've got various teachings on it. Maybe they'll find some and put them on the on Facebook for you to get. Maybe Prophet Adil, who runs that department, and he brought it there. He's who runs that department can find some of my teachings on the soul and the blood, but you need to recognize. So we have now, what Jesus did in three days, we get 30 to 90 years to do. Mm -hmm. 
But understand that he did his in the heart of hell. So he, I think he was highly motivated. <laughs> I got to get back home. <laughs> so he was like, we got to do this and be done with it because I'm going home. You know, we, we don't realize that Jesus had that longing for home. If Moses longed for home and Abraham longed for home, they never been there. How about the Lord Jesus? This must have been a challenge for this man. Mm-hmm. I want to go home, and I can't go home until I finish this. So, so he does it. So in order for that to happen, once we get born again, we switch out the, the birth of life spirit, the natural life spirit that we inherited from Satan, which was doomed, God switches that out for the spirit that he started with. And even more than that, because the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Adam, even in the beginning, were not the same. Mm-hmm. Which is why he said, who through the eternal spirit, he offered his blood through the eternal spirit. That's a big statement when you have the knowledge. So when we say become Jesus, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about your soul, if you're born from above, your soul now has to be Totally overhauled, revamped, reformatted after it's purged. And it doesn't happen in a day. Because you like some of that stuff. And what you like, you fight for. So you like some of that. So that does that answer the question? I know it's a long answer, but you know, it's hard. It like it should have been a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it didn't seem like I could say, da 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 da. Can't hit you. You call me? Yes. My toys. I know. Okay. I don't like my toys. When I was a kid, I cried so hard when my toys broke. I was bad. I was like, no, I can't have my toys. What's my toys for? <laughs> How about you? You ready to pick up? No. When you said that, effectively. Is it working? Yes, it okay. just needs to be turned up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Effective leaders alter people. Successful leaders push people along. Yeah. And I remember, and somebody was with me in that time, when you were challenging our leadership because the effects of our leadership I remember that on our people were not very beneficial. To the people. To the people, thus to the organization as well. And you really um, hammered us. The saints don't know. You have Because you, I mean, seriously, it was, I mean, it was a training that you dealt with it. But you said your people are failing. Failing. Can't keep jobs. Can't get cars. Families on the road. Yes, you know. You remember that, though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, told us we had something like 90 days to fix the church. Mm-hmm. Because you said the fruit of my leadership worked. You all. But the fruit of your leadership failed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say like you that. You did. I didn't really say it like I'm that. I'm sure I have it written down. I didn't really say it like that. That's why I remember.
and and it produced failure, yeah. which showed that what we didn't agree with clearly wasn't the right idea. <laughs> anyway, and so now you know people understand that we are who we are, and even uh, with the rigidity of the standards, because we've already been here and done this. Yeah, and we know softening and relaxing and understanding and doing all that does not produce giants. It doesn't produce successful people. No, we're going to go. And now our, the, the whole foundation of our Come Home campaign really stems all the way back to like 2009. Yeah. Thank you. It was a hard year. 2009 was a hard year. Yeah, 2000. Yeah, well, yeah. But I mean for us. Okay, for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because in the midst of trial, in the midst of warfare, you still demanded that we produce for God. Yes. Those were not easy years for us as an organization. But that was no excuse for producing failures. Mm-hmm. And you let us know, all of this over here and what we're supposed to produce over here, two different issues all together. And this is you all disagreeing with how God gave me to do this. And you think that as soon as we can do it ourselves, we'll show you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, y'all fix everything. Yeah, right into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and so in this round, in this round, it's not that at all. No, no. Because we know that people will give you all their crying, sighing, lying, and whining because they never wanted to do it anyway. And making concessions for people who are going to quit anyway hasn't failed. There's not one person we've had in 20 years who has ripped the system apart, told us all the things that were wrong, X, Y, Z, who didn't quit, made all these changes, lower standards, modified things, pulled back, and they're gone. And went out and spread their lives. Because, and, and what did I tell you? I said, a couple of things I taught my leaders. Number one, tears don't mean right. Just because people cry doesn't mean that they're honest. Yep. Okay? Dishonest people cry too. They got tears too. Okay? Second thing, wrong, strong, not wrong. Just because a person is strong doesn't mean they're wrong. Right and wrong is based on situation and issues, which you need to investigate. And that's very important. And lastly, your company could be going down for the third time. They still expect you to come to work and do the job. Yeah. They can tell you we're going to sell next year. You can either quit or stay there and deliver. And they will write you up as if they're not going to Yes. And so I said, how much more God? And so my attitude is that leadership, God is a fruit man. And leadership bears fruit. And if the fruit of your leadership are devastated people, naive people, rebellious people, then that's the seed you sow. That's the tree you grew. You grew that tree. And so you need to figure that out. And so we had a situation. Every time I turned around, somebody was losing their job. They were getting put out of their apartments. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'll train you all. And see, I'm one of those people, I want to see your training in action. I expect you to enact your training. And not just not just talk about it and cry about it. And that's it. I said to someone who was in our um, our AIT program last year, we had a counseling, and, and they were like, "Well, you know, I can do this, but I can do the program. No, you can't." I said, "Because the program is not speaking to you." Oh yeah. I said, How, "Why would you say that? Because you exhibit nothing. You're not acting the program. So I don't care about your head knowledge. Neither does God. Knowledge fucked up, but love edifies. And so." God, when I said that, I said, but the training's not working for you. So what does that mean? That means you're not for it. Because when training works, it changes you. That is not the 
And it, and, and, and if you, and because it triggers a faith. Yes. And it, yes. it triggers a cooperation or an agreement with your thoughts and your goals that makes you change. So I put people out of my program, not just for homework, I put them out because the training I'm talking to you. Because you can't, you, in your mind, I can't get it. But in, obviously, your brain, your makeup, remember compatibility, and, and then it's not built for that. You need to go get in our other training. We give you another training. We put you in something else. So I don't, you know, when I, a lot of our assignments, you would agree, say, but I need to see it assimilated. And if you came in acting ugly and you still acting ugly and you've been in the training, that means you and the training are incompatible. Mm-hmm. See, leaders, I'm telling you. You don't have to wait till they blow up your church. You don't have to wait till they blow up your work, till they take and malign your character. Failure's always malign. Yes. That's just what it is. They're like a cancer. They always malign. Because it's malignant. And so you cannot just listen to people say, well, so-and-so said, and that's what said, and God said. And, no, no. First of all, if God said it, he would say it through the training. Is that right? Yes, it's correct. Because God talks to you through what he's producing in you. Yeah, yeah. And he talks to you the way he's training you. So I don't, I don't tolerate that. I, I, I don't have to. And it's a funny thing because, you know, I have this show. I get a chance to say it and share it because of the body of Christ. But they'll tell you I won't even tell you. I don't care. And you know why I don't care? Because if, you, if it's not enough for you to fight for it, then I'm not going to fight you for it either. If you don't want to fight for it, I'm not going to fight you for it. And I'm glad you brought that up. So when our people were failing, I was like, I put you over these families for their lives to get better yeah. and not worse. Yes. And if their lives aren't better, that means you're not using the training because the training works because what our lives are better. So that means you're not using your training. And I want you to use your training. So I gave them 90 days. I think we stayed on probation for like three years. Yeah, y'all did. But y'all did. Because you know what? Because of what you said, your honesty is, and that's why you're an apostle today. That's why you're a prophet today, because your honesty is, we we thought that our authority was for us to do it our way. And we didn't realize that that authority was not to liberate people from righteousness, from what's right. But that authority was to authorize their their obedience and and push back on the darkness, and they did it. Before it was all over, people were getting jobs. We, they were and they were quitting jobs from getting jobs, quitting jobs from getting jobs. They were getting apartments. They got loans. The credit got better. Ties went up almost ninety percent. I was like, that's why you have leaders. See, that's why we're doing this because God doesn't have leaders for you to stand out front and be celebrated and be uh, envied. He has leaders for you to do in the flesh. What he wants to do from heaven, which would take him a long time to do without a being, he can do faster with you being in the world. Lord. Amen. <laughs> we, I mean, we had to, which is why we are the leaders we are right now, except that because it's this church, all the things you said earlier, because you're a woman, Black, all those things. So heavy-handed. What is what is uh, respected as organization and structure in outside arenas is labeled heavy-handed and controlling here. Oh yeah. But ministerially, church, whatever. 
and where you were going to say, no, no, I don't want to be no joke. And it's a, it's a, a thing of respect that you survived that, that, you knew, <laughs> that you knew you're the best because you were under somebody who didn't play around. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that. Even from one point, who are you? Some is progressive. Man, everybody knew. If you're the chairman of the department, if you pass with a C in that class, you got out with your life. You're like, thank you, Jesus. Every upper class has said, you better pray and hope fast. Getting through this whole on, on this one. <laughs> Because it's going to be rough. But, you know, just do it. How are you supposed to know how to test? Out of all of those things. But you considered it a badge of honor to have the toughest, strongest, most rigid. The people who wanted to be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who didn't cried and never stopped crying. And probably 20 years later still crying about it. About the injustice of it all. But to those who want to be great, they pursue the hardest. They really do. They audition under the most challenging person. They put themselves out there in front of it all the time. They say, oh, but I want it to be critiqued, sometimes criticized. I want to get out there because I want to be the best. And that's even uh, a sign of true leaders, mm-hmm. genuine leaders, put themselves out there. No, let me, let me I'm going to involve, not in the easiest class. No, you want to get this one because they never check. Eh, yeah, but see, when I get in my career, I'm going to be unqualified. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, it's so interesting, and I'll say this, and then we're she's gonna do what she's doing. Uh, but I'll say this: I would say my two things I have lived, and that is that the church, that that um, theological gender bias, yes. has spoiled the church and robbed God of greatness. Because the great to us, the ones who make us great have to come in a particular package, has to be a certain race. It has to be a, you know, it has to be this and that. And they don't realize that God's excellence often starts with the seed. People used to say to me, well, woman, God, you got a lot of God's excellence because I didn't finish it. Silo. Yeah. And get it into your hands. So that's the thing you have to recognize. But I said to someone recently, great people want to be connected. I always know the people who are going to run this thing because they are not running from what built it. They're not running from what strengthen it. They're running to it, and they bounce back. I'm trying. I pray. Shit, ain't gonna shut up. Everybody talking about it, baby. Because these are some of the most resistant. They go home and cry and whatnot, and you know from what I don't play. They come up and they come back and they say, "I worked it out. I figured it out. We got it."
And so don't jump off right now if you're sewing. You take a moment to sew. You want to go to Cash App. If you're a Cash App user, you want to sew. The Cash App handle there is Dr. Paul Price with that dollar sign. And then if you're a PayPal user, you can uh, give via PayPal today, paypal.me slash Dr. Paul Price. And Rachel's putting the text to give. You just want to give via credit card. That's the simplest way to do it, 918-203-6625. This is so important. And we I don't want to fail to mention that you can also do taking it on, which is become a partner of this program. So if you say, listen, I want to sew pretty regularly. I just want to make that part of what I do. Then we want to ask you to visit us at takingiton.com. Takingiton.com and then you can become a partner with us in this broadcast and all that we're doing here on the Jesus and Paula show. Well, I love you all and you know I love you deeply and, and contrary to popular belief, love may cover a lot, but love, love speaks the truth as well. So we speak, we uncover the truth, and we soften it with love. I love you. I want you to win. I want you, you all to answer me. You know, kind of, um, you know, respond to me on Facebook. Let me know what you thought about this. I really want to hear feedback about this particular broadcast today. Tell me how it affected you. Tell me what you see yourself doing with it. Because some of you all, God has answered you today. So do that until we get together. Don't forget, join us Sunday at the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands. Join us at 8 o'clock with Prophet Adia for Sunday school, and join me at 10 o'clock. And don't forget, we're we just, we just going to show off. I love you. Be prosperous. Hey, but take the lead by leading your own life first. God bless my Lord. <laughs>